Dear Sears, have you ever stayed in a hotel? Have you ever thought about all the other people there before you? Had anyone ever passed in your room, maybe? It's probably not something anyone wants to think about when sleeping in a bed that's not their own. Sometimes those rooms come with stories, though. Sometimes those stories are so frightening you aren't sure you want to be in there anymore. Sometimes being in there scares you so badly you end up writing a best-selling horror novel based on it. Today we cover such a place. In this correspondence we discuss the Stanley Hotel. Estes Valley, later to be part of the Rocky Mountain National Park, is a sportsman hunter's dream. Beautiful flowing water, greenery, forests, and of course, wild elk roam about freely. Originally territory of the Ute native tribe, later contested by the Arapaho, and frequented by several other tribes, the valley was a lush paradise eventually sought after by settlers from the east coast of the U.S. At one point, 15,000 acres had been claimed by the Earl of Dunraven. In frustration with other settlers moving into the area, he later, in 1907, sold the land to Burton D. Sanborn and Freeland Stanley. Afterwards, he returned to Ireland to live out the rest of his days. Freeland Stanley was best known at the time for having invented the Stanley Steamer automobile and had made himself a fortune. Unfortunately for him, though, in 1903, he fell ill with tuberculosis. At the time, the best-known cure for such an illness was a strong diet, fresh dry air, and sunlight. With this prescription, he went off to spend time in the Estes Valley. The place was so beautiful and pristine that he and his wife Flora loved it immediately. Even brighter, by 1907, his health was better than it had ever been, leading him to the land-by with the aid of Mr. Sanborn. Stanley wanted people of the East Coast to experience everything he had with this landscape, but he also wanted them to maintain the luxurious social activities they had become accustomed to. Construction on the hotel began almost as immediately as the purchase and was finished in 1909. The newly constructed Stanley Hotel boasted electricity, however had gas lamps installed as a backup in the event that they were to ever lose power. It was fully staffed, and to accommodate winter conditions, tunnels were dug underneath that would lead from the basement to the staff housing. There was a large carriage house that held a fleet of special cars he had made. These cars were to pick up patrons of the hotel, traverse the land, and get them to the front entrance safely. This was the first and only transportation system of its time. From then on, the hotel had its ups and downs nearly being demolished in the 70s. However, after a prolific author spent the night there and wrote a work that nearly defined a generation and his career, it became one of America's top haunted attractions. 
People from all across the world will travel to Colorado simply for the chance to spend the night in one of the rooms of the Stanley Hotel. There is a non-stop flood of claims from the Stanley Hotel. People staying here claim to hear and see eerie things at night on a daily basis. From shadow figures, chilling laughter, bags being packed and unpacked on their own, to items moving and lights flickering, reports are never in short supply. Some more prominent than others, the experiences are all fascinating and sure to spark the imagination and wonder of anyone who hears about them. Let's begin with one of the most notable areas of the hotel, the fourth floor. There is near constant activity on this floor, regardless of the room you stay in. Reports of kids running around the halls are regular. Patrons will hear them while they sleep, opening their doors to tell them to calm down, only to discover an empty hallway. Interestingly, no child was ever recorded having died at the hotel. Harking back to our first correspondence, I would chalk this one up to a residual haunting. We don't have any actual deaths, but the joy found by those children playing in the hall could have left its imprint there for sure. Back in that time period, it was very common for children to sleep and eat separately from their parents. According to records, the fourth floor was primarily used for this purpose and to house their nannies. Now that we have an understanding of the general ambiance of the floor, let's talk about a few specific rooms. Three rooms on the fourth stick out the most. Those are 401, 407, and 428. Each has interesting occurrences and accompanying stories. 401 is said to be haunted by the Earl of Dunraven himself. Women will often complain of being touched inappropriately or having their hair played with. The ghost is less gentle with men, often emitting a hostile aura while subtly stealing personal items from them. 407 has a more Casper-like feel. Children claim that if they kick off their blankets, the ghosts will come and gently tuck them back in. One notable story had a child repeatedly kick off his blanket to have a very insistent ghost replace them each time. After asking his mother about it in the morning, it was found that the mom had never gotten up at night, let alone tucked him in. Other people say that they wake up in the middle of the night to a figure either sitting or taking a seat at the edge of the bed. As soon as they flip the lights on, it's gone, leaving the indentation of where it had been planted on the bed. 428 itself is a baffling case. Above the room is a sloped roof and no further structure. Yet, people will often note that they heard loud footsteps or furniture being moved above them. This ghost clearly takes stargazing very seriously. The other entity that can be spotted here is the ghost of a cowboy thought to possibly be James Nugent. He is known as being quite fresh with women, occasionally kissing them. More often than not, he's seen as a silhouette standing in the corner of a room wearing a large hat. Stanley Hotel's main staircase, also known to some as the Vortex, is a place of much curiosity and speculation believed to be a portal between the worlds due to a pair of mirrors that face one another, people flock here in droves for a chance to be the next person to photograph a specter. 
Speaking of photographs, one of the most famous photos in the hotel was taken here in 2016. In the photo, we see a group of people standing along the walls, hoping to feel something conscious from the other side. On the stairwell heading up appears to be a young girl with long, dark hair, wearing a white dress and slippers. It's definitely one of the more convincing photographs that I've ever seen. Flora Stanley was a beautiful, prolific woman in her time, well-known and respected within her community. She was also dedicated to her husband and his endeavors. Freeland loved her equally as much and had a concert hall built for her in the hotel in which she had a piano place. Flora would take it upon herself to perform for guests in this hall and could often be found playing on her own throughout the day. Tragically, in July of 1939, she suffered from a severe stroke and passed away 10 days later in her home in Estes Park. To this day, patrons will often see her still diligently playing her piano, making sure that the guests are never left without entertainment. She also appears in the second famous photo taken on the stairwell. It looks as if Flora is gracefully making her way downstairs to the lobby, ever enjoying the grandiose of her hotel. After the death of Flora, her husband Freeland was wrought with grief. It took only a year for him to follow her, dying on October 2nd of 1940. Guests see our gracious host occasionally casually walking through the lobby on tour of his life's greatest endeavor. The Legend of Lucy is a favorite tale told to guests and tourists. Lucy is the ghost of a young girl seen throughout the hotel. The story goes that she was a 13-year-old runaway. The maintenance crew found her squatting in the basement and forced her out of the hotel. Outside fell below freezing that night and her body was found the next day. An alternate version of the story says that she died of illness while staying at the hotel with her parents. Though, as previously stated, no records of any child dying at the hotel exist. In 2005, the newest ghost made the hotel home. A maintenance worker known as Paul passed and took up residence. He's known for being irritable, oftentimes commanding guests staying up past curfew to get out of certain rooms. Guests also report feelings of uneasiness being attributed to his presence as well. Before we get to the most notorious of ghosts roaming the halls of the Stanley, I'd like to take a moment to make an honorable mention. There are a series of caverns below the hotel. These caverns were often used to maneuver staff and the occasional patron through the hotel discreetly. The ghost of a pastry chef is said to still roam the tunnels, the smell of baked goods purveying in the darkness. Also, the spirit of a gray cat with green glowing eyes is said to be seen there as well. In 1974, a man stopped at the Stanley Hotel with his wife. The hotel was getting ready to close for the season, and all the other guests had long since checked out. Being the only guests in the hotel, the looming hallways and quiet corridors gave off an eerie energy. They stayed in the room 217 for the night. Standing in the bathroom, the man wondered if anyone had ever died in the clawfoot bathtub. That night, he had a dream of a fire hose chasing his three-year-old son through the hallways. After waking up in a cold sweat, 
He sat on the balcony and smoked a cigarette. After he left, Stephen King would write a book that would later become a feature film directed by Stanley Kubrick. The Shining vaulted the hotel to fame, luckily as it was being considered for demolition at the time. This is not where the story ends for Room 217 though. Guests will go to sleep at night, waking up to find their bags packed and waiting for them by the room door, or finding their beds made upon returning to the room. But who could possibly be doing this? Why, none other than the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson is attributed to the highest level of housekeeping courtesies. During a power outage in 1911, Miss Wilson was entering the room to light the gas lamp that was installed as a backup. Gas at the time did not have a smell added to it, so the leak that had filled the room went unnoticed. The flame in her hand found it, though, and the subsequent explosion destroyed 10% of the hotel, sending Elizabeth hurtling to the first floor, breaking both her ankles. Miraculously, she lived and returned to work at the hotel until the 1950s when she passed away from illness. In an extremely fortunate turn of events, not one person was killed in the explosion of 1911, yet Elizabeth returned here after her death to haunt the room and its inhabitants. Stories and the reputation of the hotel spread far and wide. Many high-profile guests came to stay and experience the paranormal phenomena, one of them being Jim Carrey, who notoriously lasted an entire three hours in room 217 before running from the hotel for his life. The massive building, of course, did not elude the gaze of the investigation shows that built the paranormal craze of the early aughts. The hotel was featured on Season 2, Episode 23 of Ghost Hunters, and Season 4, Episode 5 of Ghost Adventures. I was able to watch the episode of Ghost Adventures starring Zach Baggins, known for his provocation of the supernatural in an attempt to prove their existence. Most of the show was the basic stories in the previous sections, but they did get led to the carriage house, which was reported as being haunted as well. Mattresses piled against the wall boasting claims that bodies had been found deceased on them. Also in the basement is a tunnel, previously mentioned, leading to the staff housing. The host of the hotel claimed that at one point that tunnel had collapsed, killing a worker on the inside. I was unable to find any sources that substantiated those claims, leading me to believe they are merely fictionalized entertainment by Hollywood. Speaking of fictionalized stories, there are a few things in the previous stories and claims I've yet to mention that I've found to be, at best, misleading. There is the occasional claim that ghosts of Native Americans haunt the hotel. Though many natives did pass through the area, I was unable to find any records of native attacks being repelled by the construction workers. Also, the Ute tribe were the prominent people in the territory. However, they stayed on the west side of the Grand Lake. Now the Arapaho people did migrate into the area, forming hostilities with the Ute. Those battles took place in the Ute territory, and people were definitely killed. But the Grand Lake is over 17 miles as the crow flies from the hotel. Why would ghosts of those spirits travel all the way there instead of just haunting the land they lost their lives on? The other interesting tidbit I found while deep diving to individual ghosts revolves around the Earl of Dunraven, the original owner of the land who traveled 
back over the salt after its sale. Not only did the man die in Ireland, but there was some fascinating information found in his diary post-mortem. You see, the Earl had a deep secret. He was romantically and very intimately involved with a man named Daniel Douglas Home, stating that they often shared a bed together. Why would the ghost of a homosexual man travel back across the ocean to haunt a hotel he had never seen, let alone stayed at, to attack men and inappropriately touch women? Something tells me that's not the Earl of Dunraven in that room, and some serious info digging needs to be done in that aspect. The final fishy fallacy is the ghost of James Nugent. He was shot in Fort Collins on June 19, 1874, outside of the ranch house belonging to Griffith Evans. Again, why would he travel back to the hotel? What could possibly be his attachment there? Could that spirit possibly be the notorious hat man instead? Conclusively, I think that the hotel is most likely incredibly haunted, and well worth it to spend a few evenings there experiencing the tourists and ghosts alike. Getting first-hand looks at a place like this, with the extensive history it has, is always worth the time and money spent. Though I think it might be worthwhile to take a deeper, more inquisitive look at the ghosts that haunt the building. It does feel to me that some of the names and labels were just sort of applied to the various entities in order to correlate with history and make for a good story. I would be incredibly interested to hear about any first-hand experiences or thoughts any of you have on the subject. Seers, thank you again for listening to my ramblings on hauntings and ghosts. If you want to tell me about your experiences or thoughts on the Stanley Hotel, check the question in the description if you're on Spotify. Alternatively, I can be reached at ethereally.yours.podcast at gmail.com, and we should have a Facebook group up and running as well. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. If you have the time, I'd really appreciate it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com and leave me a five-star rating and review. It's free and really helps support the show. The bigger this gets, the better stories and potential guests I can bring to tantalize your ears with tales of the beyond. Speaking of tales to tantalize your ears, next week we'll be covering something special. The Winchester House. Until I hear from you again, safe investigations and travels. Ethereally yours, CJ.